Please join me for the reading of God's Word. Uh, we'll start on verse 1 of Mark. And this is what the Word of God says. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he, will, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Praise be to God for the reading of His Word. Join me in prayer. Our gracious Father, as we continue our worship, especially as we turn to the Word, to Your Scripture, we pray that we would be attentive and we pray that we would be expectant. Now pray, Father, that You would remove any distraction for those who are watching, wherever they may be, and listening to this message Lord, that you would cause them to, to listen well for your word. That they would be sensitive to the working of your spirit. So we, we, we pray that you would prepare us, that you would open and that we would read it. And that we would hear your word preached to us this afternoon. We ask, Father, that we would listen humbly and attentively. And Lord, that we would listen expectantly and prayerfully. God, I pray. I pray, Father, that I 
as I speak your truth, only your truth. May you grant me a, a, an ability to increase affection for my Savior Jesus Christ and affection for your people. Oh Lord, help me to be faithful indeed of dividing your word rightly. God, I, that you would help us as you confront us with your truth. Grant transformation in the hearts of your people wherever they may be uh, during this time. And Lord, we pray for the anointing of your spirit in the preaching of your word. God, I pray. I pray, Father, you will grant mercy and comfort, Lord, for Brenda and her family during this time, for the passing of her, of her sister Nicole. I'm not sure where the state of her salvation, Father, when she was alive. Lord, you have granted Brenda and Richard to minister to her in many times. You know her father. And Lord, we pray for May. Oh God, we pray for your guidance wherever she may be, Lord. And she has been missing for many days, Lord, away from her children, as young as four. Lord, I pray that you would be with her and, and that she is safe, Lord, and sound, wherever she may be. Pray, dear Lord, that by your mercy, that she would return home, Lord, with her, to her husband and her children. We pray, Father, for the authorities, that you will grant them wisdom where exactly to look. And Lord, you ask us, Lord, you, we see from Scripture to pray specifically and intentionally, Lord. I'm praying specifically, Father, for this need. God, we pray, Lord, for your servant, Pastor Danny Huat. And Lord, as he's been battling with this virus in his body, with this COVID, Lord, we, we, we pray, God, that you would restore his health. God, you know exactly what's going on in his body, Lord. In, in Psalm 139, you remind us that you have created us and you have formed us intricately, that you know us intimately. God, I pray, whatever his body needs, Lord. I pray that you would restore it, that you would grant it, Lord, according to your time and your will. Oh God, when his mind is alert, I pray, oh Lord, that he is mindful of you, of your power, and, and, and that you're sovereign. God, help him to stay focused, Lord, of seeing you in the midst of this difficulty in his life. Lord, I pray for his wife, Naomi, and the children uh, during this time. May you comfort them. Lord, grant them strength. May they continue to persevere and, and, and pray and, and not give up. Lord, as so many people have died from this virus, some we know personally, some we know for an extension from a friend of a friend, Lord, you're in control in the midst of this pandemic. Lord, I'm praying for the family of um, my son's friend, Lord, who passed away at the age of 12 because of this COVID. 
God, I pray, Father, for, the, for his mom and dad and his siblings, that he will provide comfort and peace. And, and Lord, that they would see you, an all-powerful God, that you had a purpose why you took this young man so early from his family. And Lord, that you would help them. And Lord, of course, there are many families, Lord, who are going through such difficult times during, during this pandemic, Lord. But we thank you for the way, the, the way you're working, Lord, in the midst of it. Drawing people to you even more. And I pray, Father, that people would run to you for help. That they would read your word. That they would find more of who you are in the scripture. I will pray for all, all of those who are suffering, for all of those who are discouraged and faint-hearted. God, may they see you, that you care for them, that you love them. Oh God, may you help us to minister to those who are in need. May our eyes are open and ready to be your hands and feet to serve others. May we faithfully follow you, God, wherever you would send us. So, Father, grant us a heart of compassion, a heart to serve. Lord, may you increase our love and be sensitive to, the, to those who are in need. So we thank you, O oh God. We thank you for you're able to deliver us from all these things. We ask, Father, you would forgive us of our sins. Oh Lord, help us. May we confess our sins because you are faithful and just to forgive us. As far as the east is from the west, Lord, you will remember, you will no longer remember our sins because of the finished work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we pray for all these things. God, that you would enlighten our eyes that we may behold the wonderful things out of your law. And we bless you. And we praise you, O God, in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Well, we turn our attention in our study this afternoon. In the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 14 through 20, as we have read this passage. The, the title of our message is, Follow Me. And as we have seen that in this passage, in verse 16 and following. The question that I want to bring up before you, what have you given up since you responded to Jesus' call, follow me? If you're a Christian today and you say, you know, I admit I have surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, the, the question is, before you and before me, is what have you given up since you responded to Jesus' call, follow me. From this passage, we will see what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ. What did Jesus really mean when he said, follow me? Who is Jesus that we should follow him? So I want to bring those questions before you as we go through this message. And I want us to be aware in the forefront of those questions as we go through this passage. 
So Jesus begins to entrust his redemptive mission to his followers. So we are confronted with, with what is a theme all throughout the Gospel of Mark. The nature and the cost of discipleship. That we are called not just to be sponges of grace or containers. Right? The, uh, back then, there's this... Um, I have taught our young people in the early years of our ministry at Resolve. That we, we have a few young people and I taught them to be, you know, how the use of sponge. And they start calling me Sponge Rudy because I want us to soak up God's Word. As, as, as if when you have a dry sponge, we put it on the water. And then it, 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 that sponge it just soaks up everything. Not everything, the whole thing, but it, you know what I'm talking about. And, and so when I think about this, not just simply be, being a, a sponges of grace or containers of grace, but to be disciples of a, of a God of grace, to be part of this mission of grace. See, we're not, what I'm saying is we're, we're not simply just receiving God's word wherever you are at this time, or even here when we are gathering in person, when we hear the Word of God thought before us, when we are reading God's Word, when we are praying, we're, we're not simply just to be receiving them and, and keeping it to ourselves. We, we are to be part of this mission of, of grace. You see, the, the call to follow Jesus is not simply an invitation to pray a prayer, it is a directive to lose your life and to find new life in Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel, according to Mark, provides a much deeper, a different answer than most 21st century Western Christianity. Last week, we looked at how Jesus is shown to be the perfectly obedient Son of God through His baptism and His temptation and how through faith in Jesus, we can be well-pleasing in the sight of our Heavenly Father. This is where Jesus meets us. But this is not where Jesus leaves us. And so this afternoon, we are going to look at what Jesus calls His followers to. Because it's not simply that we have been saved from a life of sin and death, but that we have been called to a life following Jesus Christ. See, we have been called to go where Jesus would have us to go and do what Jesus would have us to do. See how important it is for us to recognize that, that Jesus Christ is the one who called us to go where he would have us go. If we are followers of Jesus, this, this is where Jesus is going to confront us. So I want you to be aware throughout this message is that, and be sensitive to the working of the Spirit of God. And that God will confront us as we move into the, uh, into the next passage in the Gospel according to Mark. So we're going to look at how the mission of disciples of Jesus is to make disciples of Jesus. 
So as we have read chapter 1, verse 14. Now after John was arrested, remind you now, John was arrested because of uh, Herodias, right? So because of telling, like, you can't do this. That's a sin that what you're doing, right? And in turn, he got arrested for, for proclaiming the truth. So right after the baptism and temptation of Jesus, we are told that, again, John the Baptist is arrested and Jesus begins proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, if you're here uh, two weeks ago, when we, when we looked at the, 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 the definition of gospel in Mark chapter 1, you would remember that the word gospel literally means what? Good news. When Mark writes that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he is saying that Jesus is the good news that has finally come. He's here. What I've been preaching all this time, He is here. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the first thing I want us to look at in verse 14 and 15 is this. Number one, we must proclaim the right message. We must proclaim the right message. You see, in verse 14 and 15, it, it truly summarizes well the preaching ministry of our Savior Jesus Christ. You see, Mark records that Jesus waited until after the prophet John, who was raised up to prepare the way to announce his arrival, is arrested. Jesus now stands, walks into the scene as the final prophet of God to declare that the final message of God, the gospel of the kingdom. And it's, it's important where Jesus does that because that ministry begins where? In Galilee. See, Galilee was the most multicultural region of Palestine. And as Jesus decides to begin his ministry there, you begin to get the sense that this is the one who, who was called the light of the Gentiles in prophecy. That through him, this amazing message of the kingdom is going to spread to every corner of the earth. And, and, so, and John says, Jesus begins to proclaim the good news of God, the gospel of God. Well, what is that message? In verse 15, Jesus says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Look at the words here. The time is fulfilled. Jesus is saying everything that has happened in the Old Testament history has been marching into this very moment. You see, there, there is something that has been going on and, and up until now that has been anticipating this moment. Uh, at the time, it's now fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am what all of history has been waiting for. That's an amazing story. That's an amazing history in itself. I mean, it, it, if Jesus was not God, this would be problematic. But because Jesus is God, he, he can say this. And because Jesus says this, there's an immediate implication 
for, what, for each one of us. You see, as you read through the Old Testament, and, and at moments, it, it, it just looks like it's all exploded into chaos. And, and you wonder what in the world is going on. You, you wonder if God's plan will be able to survive all of the nasty, evil politics, all of the wars, all of the rebellion of, of, of God's people. All of the power are coming together in every nation. And what you realize is God is sovereign. And His will will be done. And God is guiding history to this moment where Jesus would stand and say that the kingdom is at hand. The time has come. See, our God, your God, is sovereign. And He promised that one would come who would sit on the throne of David. There would be a moment where He would come. And the one who is the wonderful counselor, the one who is the Prince of Peace, the one who is the everlasting Father, He would come in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Even when you read the book of Revelation, it's an important picture to really recognize who Christ is, that the, 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 the promised Savior would come. And nothing could stand in the way of that. Not the outrageous rebellion of His people, not the murderous intent of surrounding nations, not the corruption of kings, not the rebellion of God's people. Nothing can stand in the way of what God chooses to do. Can I tell you this? God's will will be done. Even in our society today, despite of all the things that you see, so don't worry about what's happening. God's will will be done. God is in control. He is sovereign. The question is, do you believe that? Do you live, act, respond as if you actually believe that God is sovereign? Do you believe in His timing? Do you struggle with, with God's timing? Do you wonder if God is on task? Do you wonder if He's hearing your prayers? Do you wonder if He knows the right time to deliver to you a particular promise? At just the right time in the unshakable sovereign plan of God. Jesus came and began this amazing announcement of His kingdom. Do you rest in God's sovereignty? Remember, the goal of the gospel according to Mark is not that we would know about Jesus really well, but that we would know Jesus and love Jesus and follow Jesus better. You see, it, it, it's important for us to really understand, to know Him. Not just to know about Jesus, but to know Him. That we would know and that we would love and that we would really follow Christ better. So this isn't just good information. This is just demanding a response from us. Jesus Demanding a response from us. Jesus is summoning us to repent and believe in the gospel. I praise God that we're here. Earlier this morning, a pastor junior taught our men's study. And for 2021, he, he wants to encourage our men, our brothers, our resolve. 
the focus will be on the essentials of the faith, back to basics. And, and, and today we talked about repentance. And at the end of our study, we were just discussing and giving our feedback. And one brother shared about the meaning of repentance really well. So now think about what repentance is. Repentance is a definitive change in my heart that leads to a definitive change in the direction of my life. That's what repentance is. It's a change of your heart. Not just change of heart, it's an action. And so repentance requires actions. It requires change in the thoughts and the desires of your heart and the desires of my heart. So this is what it looks like when you and I repent. This is the message that Christ is saying, repent. So I reject the thought that I am righteous. I reject the thought that I am in control. I reject all the falsehood that would keep me away from an, ex from an excited embrace of Christ. I reject selfish desire. I, I reject evil desire. That I reject the desire for self-sovereignty. And I submit myself that I give my desires to the will and the pleasure of the one who is my king. Now, if the quality and content of your thoughts change, and the quality of the, of the content of your desires change, as an intentional act of faith, watch this, then the direction of your life will change. So because I don't embrace the fantasy of my own righteousness anymore, it means I'm not uptight with you anymore when you point out a wrong. If you make that faith commitment, your life should follow in that's repentance. And if it doesn't, maybe you have not made the faith commitment. See, if you have a new set of desires now, not a desire that your will will be done and your kingdom come, but a desire that His will is done and His kingdom has come, should not that then will live in your situation and your relationships? So as a husband or a wife, what you want to do, what you want to do is please the Savior, is to please the King. That's what orients you. That's what, that's what motivates you. You see, earlier during our men's, um, you know, our brother said that, yeah, Someone made a comment, happy wife, happy life. No. The goal, your goal for your wife is for her to be, is to please the king. It is your responsibility to point your spouse, to point your wife, and that her satisfaction is in Jesus Christ. Your goal is not to make your wife happy so you can have a happy life. That's not biblical. Your goal as a husband, it, it, it is to represent her as holy, to, to pray for her, to serve her. And that is, so she could worship and worship with you and be faithful in your marriage.
And that should motivate you. Even when you think about your friendships, you, you want those friendships to be honoring to the king. With your thought life, with your finances, with your leisure time, even your time at work or even at school. You see, true faith, as it claims thought and desire, will always result in a transformed life. And as God operates in grace to give us those new desires and those new thoughts, He operates in grace to empower us to do what we would have been unable to do. See, that's what the kingdom and its announcement have to be followed by the, by the uh, melting together of repentance and faith. See, you cannot have faith without repentance. And you cannot have repentance without faith. So the question is, where are you? Is there a consistency between what you say you believe and the shape uh, that the takes in your living? Or is there a disharmony? So I want to plead with you as your pastor. Be honest right now in this very moment. Own the fact that there may be remnants still within you of a desire for sub-sovereignty, sub-control, a, a desire for sub-sufficiency, a desire for autonomy. See, as you own that, you begin to realize that repentance and faith are not one-time acts, but lifestyle that I believe again and again and again. Saying, I believe and say, help my unbelief. And I repent, thanking God for His grace of forgiveness and empowerment, but I repent again. And that means none of us are sliding, none of us have arrived. It means none of us look down on people who are not as far as long as we are because we are in process too. And although we have moved along for where we are, we know we have a great place to go. And so this is a community of compassion and acceptance, not self-righteousness and condemnation. One thing I have shared earlier in our man's Bible study was this. Yes, I want to know what it looks like for me to repent. And what that re repentance really looks look like for me. So if there's a sin, the habitual sin that you're struggling with, another way, the how-to aspect, the practical application that you could do when it comes to repentance, if you really want to overcome the sexual sin, per se, or whatever habitual sin that you have in your life, I'm thankful that in a daily basis, or even in a weekly basis, I have brothers who are that I'm praying with early in the morning or even in the afternoon or in, the, in midday just to pray and, and read God's Word together because these brothers are committed to overcome sin in their lives. See, you need a, a brother or a sister to come alongside and say, you know, hey, I'm struggling in this area. I want to repent of this sin. I want to, yes, I want to live a life that pleases God. And so I need your help. Can you walk with me? Can you pray with me in this? Can I call you? Can you pray with me? 
And so what a great help. And it has encouraged my heart. It has encouraged my prayer life when I'm praying with these brothers in, in, in a daily basis. Make yourself available. Reach, reach out to someone who, can, that who you can go to and pray with. So you can really show what the repentance in your life really looks like. Again, this is a lifelong process. This is repentance. It's not an overnight. It's lifestyle. One more thing. You see here. Repent, right? Repent and believe in the gospel. I actually believe. Believe. The word believe. Because it actually means this. That a better translation of the last phrase would be. Believe in the good news. Repent and embrace good news. So what is the good news? What is the good news of the kingdom? What is the news that's so awesome and so beautiful and so life transforming when you get it, that you not only want to embrace it yourself and live in the, in the middle of it, but you want to take it to anybody who would be, ever be willing to hear it. It's hinted by this call to repentance. Here's the good news. Because the king has come in the glory of his transforming grace. Get this. Change is possible. When you repent and believe in the gospel, in the, in the good news of Jesus Christ, listen, repent is, I mean, change is possible. Yeah, you've been struggling with that sin in your life, or even sins in your life. I want to encourage you. Because of Christ, change is possible. Not having a moral attitude, or when you have morality in the picture, without Christ, can I tell you this? I want to be frank with you. What Pastor Junior said earlier, that's not possible. Right? When you have Christ in your life, when you repent of the gospel, Believe in the gospel, change is possible. There is victory in your sins because of the finished work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm reminded of the gospel of John in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. What a great way for, for Christ to have compassion for someone who had sinned in her life. She, she came to Christ and recognized Christ. And then when she received that message, when she received the good news from Christ, and that Christ is the one, the only one that can change her. Listen, in John chapter 4. When you have time, read that. Plead with God how he had compassion to the Samaritan woman. Despite of her sins and her life, God transformed her heart and her life. And the result, she ran and, and with excitement and joy. She wanted to share the good news of Christ. That this man who knows me, Christ knows us intimately. Christ knows you wherever you are. Whatever the state of your heart is. The state of your life is. Believe, repent, and believe in the good news of Christ. You see, can I tell you, we're not stuck. 
We're not condemned to our rebellion and in our foolishness, in our selfishness, in our arrogance. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And it's a beautiful picture. And I want you to see and turn your Bible to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, we're not stuck. We're not condemned. We can look at the darkest night of sin with, with hope because our King, Jesus Christ, brings good news with Him. And that good news is radical. And that good news is personal and heart and life transformation. What is the gospel of the kingdom? What's the bright gold promise of the new covenant? Is it not a new heart? And when you think about your marriage, so I don't want you to give up when your marriage is not what God wants it to be. You don't start thinking about your exit plan. Oh, I'm going to leave my husband. I'm going to leave my wife. Oh, this is what I'm going to do. because You know what? I'm not happy with this marriage. If you're a follower of Christ, it is not because of your morality, because you want to please Jesus Christ in your marriage. You want to be faithful to that. You don't start thinking about your exit plan. You, you embrace the king and you believe a change is possible. It doesn't matter how much you're struggling in your marriage, change is possible. Luke chapter 18 reminds us in regards to prayer. Pray and, and keep on praying and not give up. Don't lose heart. Pray because change is possible through Jesus Christ. So you don't give up on your children by the time they're teenagers. I mean, you're a bit skeptical. I mean, you're probably right now listening to this message or watching this message and, you're, and you see your children, your teenagers, and how difficult they are as you're raising them. And the challenges that comes with having a, a, a teenager in your life. So when you think about your children, by the time they're teenagers, you're a bit skeptical. And, and you believe that godliness will ever live in their lives because you believe in the transforming power of the king. See, godliness will ever live in their lives because you believe. Be, be faithful on your knees, praying for your children, praying for their salvation, no matter how, however they're growing up, with their own mindset, with their own direction that they want to do. Our responsibility is to continue to teach them the Word of God and to be in prayer, praying for them in a consistent basis. However they're living their lives, don't give up. I know it's hard, it's difficult perhaps. Perhaps we can relate to each other for those who are parents today. So you don't give up. You don't give up because the king has come. And the good news is that he brought radical hope of change with him. See, and this king would never call you to repent if that, uh, if that turn off repentance was not possible by his grace. It's radical. Do you believe the radical good news of the gospel? Are you living the good news of the gospel of the kingdom?
That's the question. Do you believe that? Do you believe in the power of God that He is sovereign in all things? See, you don't give up praying for your loved ones who are, do not know Jesus Christ, who are unbelievers. Don't scratch them off from your prayer list. Instead, keep them on your prayer list. Keep praying for them that, 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 that God will open their heart, that God will, will, will enable them to, op to, to open their ears to hear the very message. And only God, and only God can do that for you. Your responsibility is to be faithful in living out this gospel in front of them. Your job is not to, to change them. That's God's work. You live the hard part to the Lord. So the second thing that we want to see, not just simply proclaim the right message, in verses 16 through 20, we must follow Him. And this is why Jesus, immediately after He begins preaching about the good news of repentance and the kingdom of God, verse 16 says that He starts calling people to be His disciples. And as we study this passage, passage it is important to examine exactly what Jesus meant when He invited this man to follow Him. We commonly hear the term disciple as it refers to the 12 men that Jesus called. But they were not only His followers. Several times in the New Testament, we see the crowds that followed Jesus referred to as His disciples. Turn with me to Matthew, just to your left of your Bible, in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 56. Matthew 26 says, in verse 56, But all this has taken place that the, the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled, fulfilled then all other disciples left him and fled. In John chapter 6, verse 66, John 6, verse 66, it says this. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. See, both even say that many of the people who called themselves his disciples... Guess what happened? They left. They, they deserted Jesus Christ. They turned their back and, and was no longer followed Him. See, a disciple was not a term uh, reserved only for those who believe in Jesus. And you see that in John chapter 1. It tells us that John the Baptist also had disciples. And I just want to be clear that to be a Christian, to be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus. If you claim to follow Jesus, then you are going to be a disciple of Jesus, learning to obey Jesus. If you're not a disciple of Jesus, then you're not what? Then you're not a Christian. Right? If you're not a follower, you're not learning to obey Christ. Can I tell you this directly? That if you're not a disciple of Christ, then you are not a Christian. A disciple is simply a learner and a, a student. So what is a disciple of Christ and what makes 
him different. A disciple, a, a, a lifetime learner and follower of Jesus Christ who surrenders his or her life to God's mission. That's what a disciple is. A lifetime learner and follower of Jesus Christ who surrenders his or her life to God's mission. So Mark chapter 1 verse 16, as we turn there again, as he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, he saw Simon and, and, and Andrew and Simon's brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. See, in this passage, we, we see two sets of brothers mentioned. And Jesus sees the first set of brothers, Simon and Andrew, and he says to them, what? Follow me, and I will make you or be, I will make you become fisher of man, fishers of men. The Greek word for follow in this verse, which means, uh, come here, come now. Right? It's kind of like when you're calling your child. Right? Come here, come now. At times like when they don't listen, Right? You, you watch your tone. Right? You probably go extra level and say, Come here now. Right now at this very moment. You see, Jesus is not saying, Take some time to think about it and, and, and get back to me. He, he, his call is to leave everything and come now. Further, the word follow is, in the imperative mood in the original language, that meant that it is a command to the hearer to perform a, a certain action by the order and authority of the one commanding. So the invitation is a command that, once accepted, requires full obedience. See, can I tell you, accepting that command from the Lord. Being a Christian is not that, as people say, you know, it, it, it's, it's easy. No. Being a Christian is hard. It requires your full obedience. Does that mean that Andrew, Simon Peter, and James and John had no choice but to obey Christ? Did they have to follow Jesus and become fishers of men because it was a command? What's the answer? No. They... they they choose to obey. It's like Abraham chose to obey God. When God called Abraham, right, in, in Genesis 25, and, and you see there, when, when Joshua obeyed God, when Moses was gone, and Joshua had to take over to take God's people to the promised land, they simply obeyed. See, just like this fisherman, they, they, they obeyed, but it's important to know that once they obeyed, Jesus sets the condition of being his disciple. See, the one receiving the invitation does not decide what being a disciple will cost or require. The one issuing the invitation does that. Now what we need to realize is that fishing was not a hobby for, for these guys. 
fishing was their livelihood. They were fishermen. And, and, and so it will require, it will cost them their, their livelihood. Again, it, it, it's an invitation when you follow Christ. Fishing was their livelihood. They were, they were fishermen. So here, these this guys, here at work, they're in the middle of making a living and, 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 and pretty good one of that. In the first century, fishing was a thriving industry on the Sea of Galilee. I, I had the opportunity this, this uh, last year, uh, in February 20, right, in 2020, uh, man, to be able to be at the Sea of Galilee. One of my highlights on, on my trip in Israel was in the Sea of Galilee. Right? I, woke up, I woke up early at around 4.30 in the morning. I wanted to catch the sunrise. You know me about sunrise. I would wake up early morning just to see and capture a beautiful sunrise. It, it, it gives me peace and quietness in my heart just to to commune with God. I say, look at the sunrise. And, but man, I've seen so many sunrises, right? But you have to see the sunrise in the Sea of Galilee. The water is so calm. It was serene. It was amazing. It was beautiful to behold. Right? As I sat there in the dock, at the end of the dock, at the edge of the dock, and, and, and listening, I'm like, and the birds flying, and it's, it was beautiful. To know that in the Sea of Galilee, in the area of Sea of Galilee, where Christ did majority of his ministry, when he was alive. See again here, and here Jesus comes along and says to them, follow me. It's not like Jesus is saying, hey, when you're ready or when it's, it's convenient for you, I have something for you to consider. No, Jesus is saying, come to me when? Come to me now because I have good news to give to the whole world. And notice that Jesus is, isn't asking them to do anything before they become disciples. No, Jesus is simply asking them to follow him. Don't follow a set of beliefs. Jesus is, Christ, Jesus is saying to this man, follow me. Follow me. Not certain religion. Not certain beliefs. Not certain doctrine. But follow Jesus Christ. And what will happen if they follow Jesus? What will happen if they follow Jesus? Because Jesus is asking them to, to stop what they're doing in order to follow Him. So, what's the end result? So, Jesus looks for men and women who will follow Him. Jesus looks for men and women who will learn from Him. Jesus looks for, for men and women who will deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Him. And we'll see that in, in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. As the Messiah King, the Son of God, He has this authority, He has the right. And, and note, there is no prerequisite to following Him. This is a grace call. 
Come as you are, but you, but come, you must and come now. You see, church, when Jesus calls immediately in faith, we are to follow. We are called to follow him now. Let's not wait. If you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, what are you doing with the gift that he has given you? Are you slacking? Are you just uh, being an expectator at home or, uh, or in the pews? This is a radical call to be sure. It, it, it's a wonderful to know that he finds them where they are. It is Jesus who comes looking for them. It is the same with us. He came looking for us. He came looking for you. He came looking for me. We did not go looking for Him. Follow me. Learn from me. Pattern your life after me. And I will make you become fishers of man. That's beautiful. Jesus Christ is the one who went, who came to us. Says, he went looking for us. I don't know about you. Right? I wasn't looking for, for God in my life when I was uh, 18 years old. God opened my eyes. God directed me to Him, to Himself. And Jesus, Jesus says, I will make you, I will make you become fishers of man. And, and that's an interesting praise. We can easily get this image in our heads of Simon and Andrew with their fishing poles and nets uh, fishing uh, for people. You see, what we're doing when we're sharing the good news about Jesus with other people is where we're trying to rescue from something into something much better. It's like everyone is drowning in the ocean and Jesus is one by one fishing them out of the water and bringing them into the boat. You see, sharing the good news of Christ, becoming a fisher of man is not easy. Those of you who like to fish now, and that fishing takes time, right? I mean, Pastor Junior is like, hey, we might go and, and, and do, um, as brothers, let's go out fishing. Right? The last time we, had, we went fishing, we didn't, catch anything, right? But it was fun just to fellowship with one another as brothers. Wake up early morning, drive all the way to Newport Beach, and, and we had all this stuff, the, the poles and everything. We got breakfast and everything, but we didn't catch anything, I don't think. Right? It's been a long time. But you know what? Fishing takes time. The, the fish aren't exactly trying to help you catch them. They're not telling you where you to drop your hook. And it's the same way with fishing for men. See, people are not going to think that they are in need of saving. They're going to be opposed to being saved. And, and this is going to make fishing for men more, what? More difficult. But notice, notice who it is who makes us fishers of men. Jesus says, I will make you become fishers of men. See, in God's economy, there is no room for pride when it comes to sharing the good gospel, sharing the gospel with people. 
There's no room for any of us to think highly of our ability to, uh, to fish for man. Because who ultimately fits us for this task, Jesus does. This also gets rid of, of any excuse of ours to sit out on evangelism. It's not like we can say that it's not our gifting. It's not like we can say that we were not suited to advance the kingdom of God in this way. No, that's not what we see here. Instead, it's Jesus who makes us become fishers of men. Right? When, when we have evangelism class, when we have evangelism courses and all this, right? it is not the responsibility of the pastor or the teacher to make you fishers of men. It is God's work. It is Jesus Christ who will call you to go out and to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This isn't about us. It is about the kingdom work that, that followers of Jesus are, are, are called to do. Look at the response of Simon and Andrew in verse 18. It says, immediately they, they left their nets and followed him. As abrupt as Jesus' call to follow him was the response of the first disciples to drop their nets, to drop their livelihood, to do what Jesus called them to do. I mean, when you look at this, it, it doesn't seem like a good business move, but it, it's their obedience to Jesus that we, would, that we should admire. Their obedience. So the question is, <clears throat> how will they learn to be fishers of men? This is the application, or the practical question is, yes, but how? The answer is so simple that we often miss it. You see, the question again is, how will they learn to be fishers of men? They will learn by just being with Christ. They will learn by being with Christ. Jesus did not lay out a step-by-step -step process for disciple-making. He, he just did it. He, his life was the lesson. And because they choose to leave their fishing nets and, and follow Christ, they had a front row seat to the entire ministry of Jesus Christ. The natural result of answering the call to follow Christ and be His disciple is that we learn how to make disciples. So don't let this this short passage in scripture leads you to believe this is an overnight process. Being disciple, being Jesus' disciple for this man meant spending three years literally following Jesus everywhere he went. They learned from Jesus as he taught the crowds. And, and there would be times when Jesus took the twelve aside and, and taught them privately. They, they saw Jesus, they saw firsthand how Jesus loved and met the needs of others as he healed them. And, and, and then Jesus gave them authority and, and sent them out to do the same in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 and 5. So there would be times that Jesus questioned their faith in the book of Luke chapter 8, verse 25. And, and times that he washed their feet in John 13, verse 5. The result of them being in such close relationship with Christ would be a life uh, forever changed and, and a new perspective on their purpose in life. He is their Lord, their Master. He is their Savior. But He is also their teacher and, and their friend. 
they would naturally begin to train and lead others because they had been shown how to do it by Christ himself. Notice, notice too, there's a difference between a process that is simple and one that is easy. This process in our lives today will not effectively take place in the confines of a, of a classroom. But it's a lifestyle of modeling, training, and reproducing Christ in the lives of those around us every single day. You see, Jesus poured his life into others. Our surrender to disciple-making requires the same commitment. See, it is not enough that you grab a book and read it with someone that you're discipling with. They need to see how you live your life. They need to see how, how gospel life and how the gospel have transformed you. They need to see that. Just like how the disciples watch and saw Christ and how he lived with them. In verse 19, we're introduced to another set of fisher, fishermen brothers. Typically during this, this time, your work life and your family life were the same thing. So if you were a fisherman, it was because your family was a line of fishermen. You, you simply did what your parents did. Mark is showing us the gravity, the gravity of Jesus' call. Notice that Jesus is not telling them to ditch their work and their families and their commitment to, to follow him. Because after Jesus died, these four would once again go back to their fishing nets. Right? So, so they clearly still had them. This is striking and captures what truly means to follow Jesus. What Mark is saying here is that following Jesus means that Jesus comes first and everything else comes second. Following Jesus means that Jesus comes first. Matthew 6.33 reminds us what? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So don't worry about the things that you have. Don't worry about your life, but seek God first. So when we're looking at this as, as followers of Christ, following Jesus means that Jesus comes first and everything else comes second. And if there is someone or something in our lives that is taking first place and it, and it is not Jesus, then we need to evaluate the benefit of that person or even that thing. How are you spending your time in a daily basis? Are you finding yourself in the presence of God, reading His Word, communing with Him, praying with your brothers and sisters in, in, in that fellowship, connecting with in our Bible study group, in our prayer meeting? Because Jesus comes first in your life. This is a radical call. And you must consider that and examine your heart and where you are today. You see, Christianity, Christianity is not something that is cool, like, you know, it's in this cool addition to our lives, like, uh, like, like having a, a, a Jesus fish, a sticker, or a, holy, or a dove sticker in your car, a bumper sticker. It's not like we can have our life with a little bit of Jesus on the side. No, when, when, we, when you decide, when we decide to follow Jesus, we, we see everything through the paradigm of, is this helping me 
follow Jesus. Listen, it's just following me. It's just helping me follow Jesus. Write that question down. When you look at your life, right? When you, when, when you see everything through the paradigm of, is this helping me follow Christ? When it comes to whether something is a sin or not, is it helping me to follow Jesus? See, when I'm spending so many hours wasting my time watching this particular show, hours after hours, and, and I'm not in God's Word, is this helping me follow Christ? When it comes to our work, and whether or not we take Sundays off, is it helping me follow Jesus? How important is making priority for Christ in the Lord's day? Next month, right? February 14th. It's on a Sunday. Are you going to make a decision to, to have a date with your spouse or with your girlfriend or with your boyfriend or with your husband or with your wife. Oh, pastor, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to go take a, take a break. You know, I, I'm not going to be at church. I'm, I'm not going to tune in. I just watch later. Right? Cause, uh, date your wife before or after, not on that Sunday. Spend that day worshiping God together. Celebrate that day. I'm thankful for the illustration for, uh, from Pastor Junior in our study this morning. So again, church, w w when it comes to our families, when it comes to our friends and, and what we do in our off time, is it helping to follow Jesus? Because if it's not helping me to follow Jesus, it might be an indication that something needs to, to change. And our first response is often to give Jesus a certain portion of our life, but no more than that. Is Christ first in your life? Or does, he gets the, does Christ get the leftovers? Like Jesus can have my family life and my work life, but my private life is off limits. Right? You're so quick to surrender all these things. Oh God, this is, here's my family and here's my work. But this private life, this part right here, I'm going to keep it to myself. You can't go in there. You, you, you can't be part of that. He, he, he can have this part of my life, but my finances, my, my relationships, or my future goals, or whatever it might be, I, I'm going to hold back from Jesus and keep it for myself. But the thing is, Jesus does not want our 95%. He, he wants all of us. He wants all of you. He wants all of me. And, and we might be displaying that 95% like, look at what I'm giving to Jesus. Right? L look what I'm giving to Jesus. I, I'm, I'm giving my, my tithes, my offering to the Lord. I'm faithful to that. Look, look at that. I'm serving God in a weekly basis. I'm attending Bible study. I'm faithful to that. But Jesus is like, what about that part of your life? Do I get that too? You see, church, disciples are, are, are not those who simply fill pews at worship, fill out pledge cards, attend an occasional Bible study, and offer to help out in the work of the church now and then. We're not merely eavesdroppers and lookers. When one is hooked, 
when one is hooked by Jesus, one's whole life and purpose in life are, are transformed. And that's it, isn't it? When we come to grips with the gospel that Jesus came to this world and He lived the perfect, He lived the sinless life that we were unable to live. And He would bear our sins on the cross and, and He would die. And He would come back to life in victory over sin and death so that we could be pulled out of the water that we were drowning in. We're not the same. We cannot be the same. So fast forward 2,000 years and, and, and what was the fruit? We, we are Christ followers today because 11 of these 12 men were obedient and continued to live as Christ lived and trained as He trained. The question now is ours to answer as we close. Will we answer the call to follow Him so He can make us fishers of men? And if we have already answered the call, will, will we be faithful to extend the call to others? Will we connect the blessing of our salvation with the purpose for which we have been saved? And if you are here uh, right now and, and you hear this, you're watching this and you have never put your faith in this Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, there is still time to repent and believe in the gospel. If you do not have a personal relationship with Christ, if you do not have, if you have not surrendered your life to Christ, there is forgiveness for your sins. The good news of Jesus Christ. There is still time to repent and believe in the gospel. But the time, the time is running out. Don't, don't put it off any longer. Come, come now and follow Jesus. The call to follow Jesus is, uh, is is put out to each one of us. How we respond to His call will determine whether we believe Jesus to be the good news or whether we are holding out for something or someone greater. You see, church, the choice is in front of us. But make, make no mistakes. We must make a decision. You must make a decision. I made that decision. We cannot put it off any longer. We, we can no longer stand on the fence with half of us on the road side and half of us on God's side. We, we have to choose Christ. We have to follow Him in everything. And we cannot compromise. The call to discipleship requires an immediate response. Now maybe there are some of us who think they are too messy or too broken and that they need to clean up a bit before they will accept, before God will accept them. Maybe you want to give yourself over to King Jesus, but you're afraid of what He's going to see when He opens the, the door of, of your heart. Just like the Samaritan women in John chapter 4. None of us are perfect. We, we aren't going to get this right all the time. But... Don't you think that Jesus already knows where you're at? Don't you think that Jesus knows what's behind that door? Because, because 
Christ does. And not only does he already know you at the deepest level of intimacy that anyone can be known, because he created you, but he still wants you for himself. You see, Jesus did not tell the disciples, you need to get your act together before you can follow me. There's a process. You see, first you need to do this, and this, and that, and this, and this, and then and you can follow me. No, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you become fishers. So man, there is no process. There's nothing we can do that will make that happen, but rather it was Jesus who has already done. And when we choose to follow Jesus, He will make us become what we are always intended to be. You see, it is the mission of disciples of Jesus to make disciples of Jesus. We don't just want to see people saved from sin and death. We, we want to see them telling people how to be saved from sin and death. Just like Paul discipled Timothy and Timothy discipled others. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, we have a responsibility to disciple others and that they too will disciple others. Do we want to be part of that? Because Jesus is going to the very ends of the earth with the gospel of God, and He wants us to be part of that mission. My encouragement to you, church, I want to see that in our church. I want to see that in you. I want to see that in my life, to be being actively involved in discipling others. I know it's hard because of this pandemic. You know what? Make some time. Call someone. Disciple others through cell phone, make a call through FaceTime or whatnot, right? But be obedient to God's call in your life. May God help us by His grace to be His disciples, crucified Christ in the center, gladly pursuing His mission. Without Christ, we have no life. Someone in your life needs you to share the gospel with them. Let me tell you that. Let me say that again. Someone in your life needs you to share the gospel with them. Will you humble yourself this evening, this time, wherever you are, to seek God, to follow Him and surrender your life and follow Him truly without compromise. Let's pray. Oh, our precious Father, thank you again for how Mark again and again confronts us with the identity, the authority, the, the power, the mission of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you that Mark in his, in his narrative makes sure that Christ is central, that all of the Cameras, per se, are on Jesus Christ in, in that way, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Telling the narrative, even the telling of the story confronts us. Oh, by the grace of the cross, would you make us people of the cross. Deeply grateful for the grace that we have received and consistently desirous to be tools of your grace. And Lord, my prayer for this church, for Resolve Bible Church, that indeed, Lord, wherever they may be at this hour, that you would make them an instrument of your grace.
that they would listen to your call in their lives in following you, in believing and repenting of their sins, confessing of their sins. And Lord, and not just simply to be an expectator, not just simply becoming the, the container of grace or the becoming a sponges of grace, but Lord, that we would be part of the mission of grace in proclaiming and discipling others, that we would be actively involved in your work. So help us. And we pray for all these things in the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen and Amen.